My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciacathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Annie Morehauser, founder of Annie Glass. Welcome, Annie. Thank you. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. I'm going to get a, a brief bio on Annie, but, but before I do that, for everyone listening, I always offer a roadmap, and this will follow the same trajectory that we always do on this series, which is we'll get into Annie's academic background and early professional life, and then we'll drop straight into unpacking Annie Glass, um, which has a huge prolific history, and we'll get into some of the um, logistics about the beginning of it, um, namely the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and then we're going to talk about the trajectory that Annie Glass has taken over um, its, its in prolific history. And then we're going to wrap up um, by looking at goals that Annie Glass and Annie herself may have for the next uh, one to three to five years. And then we will um, put a period on the, all of it with advice that Annie may have for those of you looking to get involved, um, go and see some of her Annie Glass work and everything in between. So a quick bio on Annie. Annie Morehauser fell in love with the beauty of glass when she first saw it being blown by an artisan at the beach under a full moon over 35 years ago. He graduated from California College of the Arts with training in a range of glass techniques, but it was developing her own version of the ancient glass forming process called slumping in the 1980s that marked the beginning of Annie Glass. Two pieces from the Shell series were chosen to become part of the permanent collection of the Smithsonian Museum of American Art in 2006. That is so fantastic, Annie. I, I think that's the shortest bio I have had from a guest who has <laughs> the amount of career you have. I, kind of, I ended it and thought, wow, she has really summed everything. I mean, it's, there's so much to you, and I, I think that's exciting. I can't wait to just start unpacking it. So first, the first thing I want to do is get into your academic background and early professional life. Can you tell us about those two things? Sure. I, uh, when I first saw glass blowing, I was a student at community college in San Mateo, College of San Mateo, and they had a special event, and uh, in the summertime, you could only take glass blowing in the summertime, and so I think I was in my second year of college, I fell in love with it, I pursued it, and then there was no place else to take it, so I went to San Francisco State 
university for the just just for glass and commuted from um, and the second I got there they had torn down all the furnaces and everyone and they had not built them back up yet on the first day of school so almost every single person maybe like there are five of us left seven of us left all left the class and just quit on the spot and the and so that left the seven of us to build literally build the furnaces and build the the hot shop, the glass shop. And I actually learned quite a lot of stuff, but my parents taught me, you know, you don't quit, you just don't quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, everyone else right here, but now that I have 30 ovens, it, 30 kilns, you know, it was really a good thing to learn a little bit about building equipment. Um, and then I was very fortunate to have a visiting artist be the, the teacher that year. I, but once I was finished with that, I was like, there's no place else to go. I need to do, I need more. So I transferred to the California College of Arts and Crafts is what the school was called at that time in Oakland. And my teacher was Marvin Leposky, who was one of the uh, uh, instigators or founders of the American Studio Art Glass Movement in the United States that started in Madison, Wisconsin at the university there in the early 60s. And he was a contemporary of Dale Chihuly, which most people know of, and um, who went on to Seattle and uh, started the Philchuck Glass School. And then Marvin went to UC Berkeley and then on to California College of Arts and Crafts. And I graduated from there. Uh, he made it so hard uh, to, to be a student there that it was easy to do anything when, once you left. <laughs> you know, he required like 400 <laughs> percent mm -hmm. so if, you know you could do anything when you got out of there because his standards were unrealistically high it made you impossible to deal with or be around but um it was great training for the the tenacity and the stick to and the stubbornness that you need to to be an american manufacturer yeah absolutely <laughs> it, you know or you know, we, slash designer slash business owner slash employer um and, and all of the above. So. Yeah, where did you go to after, I mean, following such a um, well, impressive I, I, tutelage? Well, I uh, was gonna, most of my uh, graduating, uh, other glass students who are graduating that year were moving into an old paint factory in Oakland to start their own studios. And nice. I wanted to be in on that. But, um, but by then I had broken away from them. They were blowing glass and I was learning the technique of slumping. So Marvin really pushed me once I got there. I already, once I got to the school as a transfer student, I already knew how to blow glass. So he really pushed me into sculpture. And there was a wonderful artist named Mary Schaffer who came from New York and she took big chunks of glass and hung them, suspended them in the oven in the, in the glass kiln from meat hooks and made these gorgeous just shimmering towels of nice. glass i mean they're just incredible like fabric and i fell in love with that and so that's what slumping was or bending glass bending and that was the technique that i pursued and that's what i do now it's what annie glass is all glass that's been uh, cut ground decorated fired in ceramic molds and bent into the form of the ceramic mold and so that's why it's so durable the gold and the glass are fused together they're melted together Okay, so you didn't you didn't go to the paint factory because nope. they were all blowing glass. So where did you take your slumping technique? I, well, I fell in love with a surfer and I moved down to Santa Cruz, <laughs> and yeah. then I was completely isolated, which actually was a good thing. 
Uh, yeah. There were no other. Well, actually, there were some glass blowers. I have to take that back. There were a tiny town that, that, that this is. There were quite a few glass blowers. Um, they were all men. They were all had studios, that, and they were all hot shops or blowing glass. And um, I had met most of them when I was a student, uh, doing a map of all of the glass studios in the in Northern California. Um, so they were all really helpful and enthusiastic. And um, it was easy to really, in some ways it was bad. I, did, I, I didn't have my support system that I had in the Bay Area or the suppliers <laughs> for glass and gold and platinum and every single thing else that you need. And this right. was before the internet. This was in um, 1983, 81, mm -hmm. yeah, 1981. Um, I graduated in 1979 and then started my studio in 81. Um, actually got a physical space and shared it with a painter. And did you launch Annie Glass at that time or did you just start your studio and start working with? Um, well, in 81, I just started my started working and in 83 I started Annie Glass and the name Annie Glass was really a direct um, snub to the men who had started um, a, their own um, glass organization in the Bay Area and because I wasn't a glass blower I, that was their criteria um, I wasn't permitted to join but um, so because I you were a woman no, it was because I was a slumper. I was not a glass blower. Uh -huh. But uh, certainly I was the only woman um, who wasn't married to a glass blower. Who uh -huh. So, yeah, so there's definitely, we, we could have a whole other subject on that, but, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but moving on. Um, so Annie Glass, I took it from, you know, it was more or less like, I wanted to emphasize that it was girl glass. Yeah, <laughs> Within I like Annie that. Glass. They were all using their last names or the, or the streets their studios were on. And um, so I pushed it in and I made Annie Glass be one word as if it was a huge corporation in my little mind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it worked. It was, a, uh, from a marketing point of view, I've been told many times, it's a great, great name. You know, you trust Annie Glass. You don't think Annie Glass is going to rip you off. You don't think uh, <laughs> yeah. Annie Glass is going to, you know, stonewall you or, or, uh, uh, or be dishonest. So. Absolutely. That's a great, I love that. I love that that's how you came to the story. What a great um, background to that. So did you take, when you established it in 1983, um, did you take any funding? Did you establish it by your own means? And what was your first form of selling? Did you immediately go down and have it in some shops in Santa Cruz? How did that work? Well, the you know, the fantastic education that I got in art school really left out anything to do with money or business. And yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, I actually, uh, my first check bounced. I didn't have the money for a ton of glass. I didn't even know that you could buy a ton of glass. In fact, I was told it was a ton, but it came in weighing at two and a half tons and it went right through the floor of my studio in oh, front my of my Lord. landlord. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, um, if it's broken, do I still have to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a fiasco. And, um, and then uh, I didn't have the money. My boyfriend didn't have the money. No, I think he came up with the money for me. My mom didn't have the money. I was you know, frantic. Yeah. And, and at that time, I mean, I think I was young enough and dumb enough and uh, yeah. literally like just, oh, I, I, I was just in such denial, I guess I would say, not so much that I was dumb, but I was, I was in a great deal of denial and it, it, 
it led me a long way. I have to yeah, say. it fed you. Absolutely. Long, <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah, that fear and denial. denial. Yeah, fear and denial goes a really long way to motivate a young person. Well, that's so um, fantastic. I yeah, love it. And, yeah, and yeah, I'm, not, I'm no longer invited to the um, career days when I tell that story. But um, yeah. anyway, and then of course, the uh, that company, I went a long way from, from buying a, a case of glass to we, we go through a, a two and a half ton case every two weeks. So. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. So when you had your first clients, how did that work? Was it friends and family? Were they? Um, no, you know, never really. When I first started, um, I was doing a different type of glassware and I let's see I was I went to um, there were a, a couple of venues that you could do that to meet wholesalers and the biggest show was up in Rhinebeck in upstate New York and it was where the American Craft Council had a juried show and then buyers would come like from Bergdorf Goodman or Neiman Marcus and and do the buying and so that's really the only way to get in front of those people so I applied to those shows and I didn't get in because the, the slumped glass the bent glass forms the plates and all that I was making no one was doing and they were just I guess just too weird you know for them or not good enough so I did an alternative show um, nearby across the street and that and I wrote to Neiman Marcus and in San Francisco they just opened their store and I and they had an, a section called American Art Forms. And I told them they needed to have my staff and I was going to be at this show and I hoped that they would come by. I, and uh, they did. And then they didn't order anything and I was crushed. I was so naive. I didn't know that they wouldn't do that there on the spot. Right. Like on my little sure. carbon paper pad. They weren't going to, I wasn't going to write an order. And, uh, and then oh, about two weeks went by and their accounting department called me and, you know, wanted to have my Dun & Bradstreet number and wanted all these official things. And I was thoroughly confused and didn't, I had not received an order. And I was so naive that I actually packed it in what I call the good boxes, which were um, the produce boxes for oranges that are double walled. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like, oh, I'm going to get nice boxes <laughs> for this. I didn't yeah. know you could buy them. I literally didn't know you could buy boxes anywhere. Uh, new ones. I thought, you know, you just got them from a moving company or something. And um, <laughs> got old ones, you know, from someone that moved. Yeah. Uh, back of a liquor store, a wine store. That's right, because that's what you do in your 20s. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so I actually, you know, got the good boxes, I call them, and um, hand-delivered them, drove them up, got all dressed up in my, like, craft fair best, and delivered them at the loading dock of Union Market in San Francisco. And they chased me away. <laughs> yeah, they're like, get out of here. Get your car out of here. You know, this is for you know, loading and unloading. And I'm like, I'm loading, I'm loading here, I'm unloading. And I like hand delivered these things. I didn't even know how to package it correctly. You know, I just hand delivered my my um, goods to them very carefully and hoped that they would, uh, you know, uh, get there okay. I'm, I'm making myself cry, I'm laughing so hard. No, I know, this, that's what the history is all about, especially one is, is, is chocked full of with these kinds of stories. I'm loving this. So you you kind of plunge through, you get your first couple of um, clients. Was there ever change yeah. in tide? Um, I'm curious, with the, the, you know, the shows, the juried shows up north, was there ever a change in genre? Did they ever start accepting your slumped glass? Uh, they, uh, it took a while when I, well, the, I was selling the early things I sold to the museum stores, like the Walker Museum Shop and the Philadelphia Museum of Art Shop and stores like that. They came in and they got what I was doing. But 
you know, it, it took a long, it took a while. And then, um, I, then I was getting desperate. My husband and I, at the time, we bought a home, our first house, and my mortgage payment was $968. I'll never forget that. <laughs> How on earth are we ever going to come up with that much money? Yep. And I was working at a gallery, a, you know, at a glass gallery during the day and learning the other side of it. You know, I was learning all that stuff I didn't know about money and net 30 and how to pack and how to ship. And that was all very viable stuff. And also watching the artisans on the other end who, who were very rude and, and not very nice to the uh, buyers at the retail store. And then this is easy. Just be nice to the customers. You're going to do great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Give them net 30 and package it well. And you know, so it doesn't right. break from there. This is easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's what we did. And, um, and uh, so that's pretty much how Andy Glass got started. We started, I started doing those particular craft fairs for Dorf Good. Barney's New York was the first big store, really big store to buy my things. Um, before that, Zona was a store that in, in the early 80s in Soho, um, they had uh, brought the Southwest look to everyone and antiques and a great smell and little cards that described everything and wonderful music and they sold the music they played. And it really was a new thing in retailing and everyone who opened a store pretty much made a Mecca to Zona down on um, Green Street and Broome and, and just you know copied what they did. And so we were in there and we were great. You know, we were, they said our friend Annie hand makes these in her studio in California, Santa Cruz, California. And all of a sudden we were famous. You know, Annie Glass was famous. Overnight. One store. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was like, what are you doing with these? You know, they'd be ordering <laughs> them by the dozen. I'm like, you want more than <laughs> you know? sure. I, I was shocked. And um, but but I had changed the design to be the gold band, what we call Roman antique. I had gone to Italy and seen the catacombs and saw how the beauty of really old things were. And, and the, the Roman glass, the pieces that had been buried for years and years were just deteriorating and, and scratched. And, and the gold had a wonderful patina to it and it wasn't perfect. And it really appealed to my own sensibility. I had gone to Japan um, previously and, and learned about the whole idea of wabi-sabi, the beauty of imperfection. Mm -hmm. And so that all of that stuff kind of clicked for me, and that's when I came up and invented Roman antique, which was I called the wide gold band or platinum band around the textured sort of green-edged glass, and that's the first dinner plate we made, and we're still making it 36 years later. I love it. I really do. And for me, um, as like an art historian, you know, I've always gone a little bit more overboard with it and felt like it was a melding of the old world and the new because yeah. I got that Roman feeling from the, you know, the gold line outline around. But then the kind of the greenish glass, it reminded me very much so of um, Mexico and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and some of those thicker glasses that come from down there mm. with the bubbles and, and imperfections in yeah. them. And yeah. And the, the melding of the of two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they always so, have that feel. Right, and we textured the, every plate. We textured the mold so that it, you see the brush strokes in there, and that was the difference. That's what made it all really different. And um, anyway, that's and that's all she wrote. <laughs> that was a big success. Um, Mrs. Pressman, um, the wife of um, the daughter-in-law of Barney, Barney's New York, she opened her own section called Chelsea Passage, which was housewares and. Uh, antiques and in the old the original Barney store and then they you know went big they partnered with Isaton and opened stores all over and they carried Annie Glass in all of them and once that happened uh, then everyone wanted us for Dorf Goodman um, and then a few years later 
we started exhibiting internationally at a trade show in um, Frankfurt, Germany. And that was really big. That was, a, I mean, it wasn't successful at first. And um, if anything, we got copied more than we got any orders. But all of a sudden, by my, by virtue of being there and accepted in Europe, the Neiman Marcus stores and the Bloomingdale stores all wanted Annie Glass. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I had to go all the way to Europe to get them to buy my things. Right. We actually, we actually, I was afraid of Bloomingdale's because it was such a big um, store and I was afraid of losing all my small independence and um, Barney's and Bergdorf's and that sort of thing. So I, I held off for about 10 years before we... So before you went to Bloomingdale's? To yeah, and now they are our largest customer by far yeah. than anyone. And, Those sound um, like sage concerns. You know, there is something to, um, and definitely it's it's different now than it was before. It seems like right. customer demand is, you know, instantaneous and people have a hard time growing elegantly, you know, with, with things that turn oh, overnight so like it well did said. with you. That's so well said. I love oh, that. Awesome. Well, I, was, I yeah. kind of want to talk about that with you because mm -hmm. you had this turn when Barney's brought you on board, you know, and made you this darling that everybody started to want to kind of soak up. Mm -hmm. How did you meet that? Did you immediately have to turn around and hire a crew of people? Were you skeleton mm -hmm. at that point or how yeah, was that based? That was the thing. Um, you know, I, I was skeleton and, um, and no one came to me knowing how to make what we did uh, certainly I was barely knowing what to do you know yeah. and uh so it was and um let's see the first guy my first employee was some poor devil that was just walking to the bathroom <laughs> at the <laughs> complex yeah. where my studio was and I was throwing out a bunch of stuff and one of them was a map of New York and it was outside and he looked and he stopped and it was like okay and he was a cook he was a chef he wound up being a baker in Philadelphia and had his own bakery but uh, you know he was good at physically making things in units and he understood that and so he's like oh this is kind of like baking cakes isn't it you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was my first employee and then he had a friend you know who was my nice. second employee yeah and then they had some other friends and they were my third and fourth employees and um so making it was always the issue and that's around the time that copies came out you know i couldn't i didn't want to sell to all of these uh all of these bigger stores. I couldn't do the production. Um, I wanted to keep it special. I mean, we sign and engrave every single piece on the back. So it wasn't, we make them here in our studio in Northern California. We didn't want to, I didn't want to um, give that up and, and just go into manufacturing offshore. And oh, that's what I was told to do. And that's not what I'm about. That's not why I went and studied glass making here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's my passion. So, and I want to be able to experiment and I didn't see the longevity or the value of, of doing it such a on such a short term way. You know, I, yeah. You see, you can name lots of designers who've come and gone who've tried that route, and I I didn't. I, I'm more passionate about the material, so it wasn't just a job for me, or it wasn't just a business or a way to make money. It was um, fed my soul more or less. So. Yeah, and that reads. I mean, I feel like without having known that directly and without reading it about um, your work and Annie Glass, the company, the ethos of it that, you know, that it feels like you're still very connected to it. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure if it's based in the designs or anything like that. I also want to drop in some very novice questions from someone who doesn't have a great deal of history in glass making or anything like that. Um, a lot of my influences come from um, art meets, you know, utility, like Chihuly's blown glass designs and things right. like that. And yours, 
I've, I find a lot of them to be very artistic, but this very, um, where art and utility come together. There's a sense of movement in your work, and I'm not sure if it's due to all slumping or if it's something that you particularly do with a technique, but a lot of your work, even though it's, it's glass, there is movement within that glass. And you talked about the strokes that you mm -hmm. came in and did on top, and indeed the pieces I have have those, those hand-done strokes on top, but I'm wondering if that is something that you chose to do or the medium chose for you. Well, no, that was intentional, and that was something that I did learn um, Marvin Leposky really pushed all of us, all of his students to um, don't be content with, don't, don't get seduced by the material, you know, make it your own. And so for me, that. texture was what, what I needed to do. You know, I needed to add texture to the glass because it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's smooth. And here I was making it all bumpy and <laughs> you can see my fingerprints <laughs> and all yeah. of that. And, um, and that's what I wanted. And I thought that gave it some sort of history and depth and uh, that wasn't there before. You know, that, that uh, if, if it was just a flat sheet of, it was, if it was just a smooth plate, I don't think it would have any of that. In some ways that texture t tells a story or imbues a story or imbues curiosity. And, and the people that look at it or use it. So I think that was, you know, that was very important. Absolutely. That's, I mean, it seems like, do you feel like you have techniques that are signature to you or do you feel like they're constantly Oh involved? yeah, oh, all the time. No, I mean, none of this, in fact, I'm just realizing I just started getting design patents and um, mm -hmm. I have two pending and, or not, I mean, they, they told us they're, they're on their way. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, my first and second one and I've had copyrights before and trademarks before but the whole idea that oh well I did I did invent that form yeah I did invent the way to make that you know that's really you can get a patent for that <laughs> you know, yeah to me, it always seemed like a patent has to be some kind of technological <laughs> um, you know incredibly uh, complex um, with numbers and physics and the whole, you know, a board, a whiteboard full of numbers behind you. I didn't realize that that was um, possible. And so I should have been doing that the whole time. Um, it would protect me from a lot of the copies. But, um, but now we're doing it. And the fun part is doing it with recycled glass. So that's my I love next that. thing. I don't want to jump ahead. But, but to answer your question earlier about the movement, uh, you know, I'm on the Monterey Bay, so I am interpreting what's around me. Um, I see, you know, there's the corduroy texture of the ocean. Um, there's the redwood trees. There's the bark of the redwood trees that gives so much beautiful texture. Um, there's, you know, even the, the Spanish tiles and the roofs here. There's just so much. It's, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm, as I sit here looking out, I'm watching a strawberry field get uh, plowed over and um, plant it and, and then one next to it get planted so yeah we're um, really lucky here there's constant inspiration and I do a lot of um, hiking and um, enjoying being outdoors so I'm, I'm really fortunate yeah I, I can constant it inspiration yeah so I'm just interpreting the natural world as I see it pretty much into glass it plays into it really well. I do want to get into, I kind of want to parlay. I want to go through a tunnel really quickly. Um, mm -hmm. You have a, you know, a news clip um, on MSNB where you kind of, and you talk about your brand and kind of this metamorphosis or um, change that it's, it's undergone in kind of a deliberate way, looking at your audience and wanting to make sure that, you know, um, people who were interested in your work weren't just, you know, people who had enough money and time 
for these fine china experiences, but rather mm-hmm. it be across um, culture and um, age span for your customers. Can you speak a little bit to like how that happened, when it started, what year was it? Was it in the 90s? Your daughter came on board and was part of that conversation. Uh, well, actually, she came on a little bit later, but um, that, that I do want to talk about that too, working with younger people and, and the challenges of business now. But, but at that time, um, I was, I've been a trustee of the, um, and alumni of the California College of the Arts, which is formerly called California College of Arts and Crafts. And for about, I think, 10 or 12 years now, I've been an alum and I helped with it. Um, I was very enthusiastic to get the MBA program off off the ground is the first art school in the nation to have an MBA, an MBA program. So mm. um, that was very exciting. And at the time, um, I was meeting the faculty. I was much more involved rather than just being a trustee. And um, I'd meet the faculty and they'd be like, oh, yeah. Or the students were like, oh, yeah, my mom loves your stuff. My mom loves your stuff. It was always my mom loves your stuff. Even yeah. you know, faculty members like my mom. You know, I was like, ooh. That doesn't sound good. I'm on the shelf already. You know, I'm, my, I've, my shelf life has expired already. Mm. What's up with that? And um, um, so I realized that that was not a good thing. And um, of course, that's what got the attention of MSNBC. And they said, that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you see that it's not a good thing. And um, so we really pursued it. It was time to refresh the brand. Um, remember these the Roman antique design and and using 24 karat gold and platinum with glass on a variety of designs. I'd always do new product. Every six months we do new product in time, in, in cycles with our, the seasons of our, of our, our, our buyers seasons and when they're working and, and when they're looking for new merchandise for spring and um, fourth quarter. And so that's, we're constantly doing new things, but the Roman antique was the one that was making, everybody wants the gold, no matter what, you know, no, no, we do color, the gold outsells everything and or the platinum for many years the platinum was very popular too and um but the point is that because the gold was so popular and roman antique was so popular it was locking us into one space it was just if you said any glass it was just that one gold that one design that one thing and it was now i mean we've been in business 36 years and we still sell a huge amount of that design and we have yeah. other designs in gold edgy with the broken fractured edge it's super popular um that's really replaced a lot of that and then um in various parts of the country the ruffle with sort of the elizabethan collar <laughs> of ruffle <Yeah. laughs> of white gold that's very popular particularly in the south in the southern states and mm-hmm. we sell a lot there in atlanta um so all knowing all of those things together that's how the designs had to come about pretty much like what's popular and the Roman antique had this longevity that wasn't necessarily a good thing uh, with these customers saying, Oh yeah, my mother loves your stuff because they only thought we only did that one design. I see. And yeah. It typecast you. Getting, right. Exactly. Typecast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did, it was time to refresh. So we did a new logo, um, did some different advertising, um, pushed more into clear, um, at the time, I called it the mason jar crowd. You know, this the, the whole <laughs> movement towards <laughs> um, uh, away from gold, and you know, I'm, I'm being mean now. Uh, people who are allergic to color. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. love Scandinavian design and just pure design as well. But it, sometimes it's just 
too easy to do it, you know, and it's just yes. sort of the go-to thing for architects and, and that. And it's like, no, I think we can do a little more. We can make, we can show the craft of it and still be that way. So that's when yeah. I started designing um, all clear pieces, salt, dune, grove is the, is the um, bark of a redwood tree we used as mold. And we had new staff that came in and helped do that. Um, our production manager did that one. Um, who's young, my daughter, who's young, who run, runs the retail division, and then um, my other, I like to call her my other daughter, but she's technically not, she's my son's girlfriend. Uh, she does our um, um, website. So with the three of them, you know, working with them every day, it's really fun to just come in here and just say, I'll say, okay, so how do you say this in old lady? <laughs> Translate this to, yeah. to contemporary. You know, I like, like that. Well, so what wow. year did that happen? That like switch over when you came in and kind Ooh, that, of did a zhuzhing? Yeah, the zhuzhing, wow, that was about, uh, about eight, no, let's see, six or seven years ago now. Yeah. Okay, so around yeah. 2013. Yes, exactly. Yeah, around that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I'm wondering with this change, I kind of want to climb into the new recycled um, mm -hmm. line or mm -hmm. however you're verbalizing that. But um, what was the inspiration for that? Was it reaching out to a new market or did you yourself already have the inspiration to work with recycled materials? Was there any um, a muse or influence that you were drawing from? Well, um, Quite a few years before these, um, I did something called greeny, greeny glass. And so, you know, it was, I, and it was really thick stacked pieces of all the broken pieces of glass we had around all the scrap glass. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to be green. I, I wanted to be more sustainable and be known as a sustainable studio. And so I made these beautiful votives that were tons of work um, but they weren't um, they weren't retailing and people it was maybe a little too soon and I remember you know asking Bloomingdale's about it and they just laughed and they said are you kidding we're having to make our parking lots larger for the SUVs in our you know at all our Bloomingdale stores we, there's the oh, last no. thing people care about is that and so we were a little too soon with that and then um, uh, found better ways to make it uh, thanks to our production manager's help and um, and we were, so we re relaunched it again as the thinner pieces as the trivets and then uh, applied for the patent for that. And really as worked the out a lot of the, yes. And they're called elements. And so the first designs were R, um, sort of organic shapes in the shape of like a rock, clouds, river, lake, pond, those are the names of them. And um, those are, uh, can be used as a trivet for hot things or they can be used to serve on cheesy crackers or whole candles. And so there's a thick, um, re, re, I would call it upcycled. Technically, you'd call that upcycled because we take our glass scrap that's new glass, you know, that we've, we're using. We're just cutting the edges off. When we make a circle out of a square, we have these four corners. And so um, around the same time, a little before that, I bought a water jet. Um, which cuts the glass at 90,000 pounds of pressure per square inch, which is incredible. And because it can do that, it was like going, starting all over again and being back at, you know, art school yeah. and getting to make, oh, we can make a flower shape with that. You know, we don't have to cut it by hand. You know, you cut it by hand. I mean, you're lucky if you get a heart, it's got a round bottom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like you can't, I mean, you can't do much at all. You can make a circle, a square, an oval, mm -hmm. and that's about it. You know, maybe a little squiggle, <laughs> but that's, 
that's it. You're really limited to what you can make. And the water jet enabled things to be cut faster and quicker and with no margins, hardly any margins. And so we greatly reduced the glass that we were, that we um, were, uh, you know, the waste that we had. Yeah. And at the time, all the waste was just going back to the factory because it was so clean. It was going back to the factories that made it in Fresno about, you know, um, three hours from here. And then that, that factory closed down and I had a huge problem because I did not want this to go to the landfill. Um, and so I just said, I better get to work. And, and I, <laughs> the voters I knew that I had done a previously a few years before didn't work. So I just kind of locked myself in a room for, for a while and just came up with alternate, alternative ways to do this and better ways to do this. And then with the help of my great staff, I'm, I have to stop here and just say, none of this would have happened without them. I may have the, um, the, the I'm the cheerleader for it, but I've got some of the best people ever. Um, our customer service person's been with us more than 30 years and wow. she's fantastic. Yeah, she, uh, that's why we are successful because buyers know they can call her and, and do well. And we, we had a production manager for 30 years who worked for us and retired. And um, was great and now the new one is young and understands water jet technology and understands it's a cnc machine computer numeric code um you know that all of this fun stuff we're able to do so the the mix the hard part is also the really fun part you know the engineering part is this going to work i don't know let's try it <laughs> we don't have anybody here telling us we can't you know? that's right <laughs> and so that's been great yeah and that, then well well we got a little too far when we had the artist in residence program I chose artists uh, in the summertime. We had about four years we did it. And the last one was a friend, which is always, you know, true. Do not hire friends and family. Mm. Well, I, I, I can't say that now, but yeah. <laughs> my family's here. But um, uh, friends, we could say it with friends. But a um, friend came from New Orleans, a, a sculptor and jeweler, Thomas Mann, and lit, you know, lit the kilns on fire trying to do experimentation. So um, experimentation. With with temperance, I, I guess. There you go. That's I like that. Here, that's with that's temperance. the future of Annie Glass, and that's what keeps all of us here. And um, are I'm very proud of the fact that let's see, one quarter of our employees have been here for more than twenty two years, wow. and uh, many of them came from the fields. And we edu we taught English classes, and they some of them their children are the first in their families to go to college. Beautiful. So we've had an economic impact in the area where we live in. Uh, Watsonville, where the studio is, um, is in the middle of the strawberry and agricultural community. And uh, um, we've definitely made an impact here of giving alternative jobs and teaching people how to do what we do. And we have zero turnover. It's actually a bad thing <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> it sounds anyway. wonderful. I mean, and, it be, and you know, the kind of, I've interviewed a bunch of women over the past eight, eight or nine weeks that actually have companies based around developing, um, there's a huge industry for, you know, developing a company morale. And, yeah. um, and people that go in and analyze broken terms and things like that. And you are, mm -hmm. I think, standing in direct opposite to issues that every one of those people are solving because <laughs> you have this, you know, this harmonious environment on some level when you have people working together for that long. You know, there's well, a relationship I, that builds. And I, well, and I think, too, part of it is um, we all love the material. You know, we love anti-glass. I mean, we'll, if we're working on something, you know, like, oh, 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 oh look at this, look at this. 
this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, look at this. Look at how this came out, you know, or if there's, it's a bad thing because they'll love anything. So I can't show them, you know, new. <laughs> but if it's different, they'll just, oh, I love that. That's so cool. But it's like, yeah, I don't think the ladies in, uh, you know, in the deep south are going to like that one. Or, you know, I don't think the New York crowd's going to go for that. But, you know, but they're like, but look at it. It's beautiful. So there's a lot of enthusiasm and passion. And I work here too. So, I mean, that, I think that's the thing. I work here too. So, um, that, I'm curious about that. that when you talk away. about products that won't sit well with other places, have you ever um, run a line of um, singular items of just one and only exclusive items? Have you ever released things that only exist in one? Uh, no, uh, we do limited editions. Um, okay. So once we make a mold, the way that the, the process is that the glass, the flat glass is cut into a shape. Um, it's decorated with gold or platinum or colors or whatever you're, we're going to do to it. We round the edges so it doesn't chip. And then we set it on top of a ceramic mold, which is an exact duplicate of the final shape. And so, and then we put it in the electric ovens or the kilns and the heat and gravity makes it drop down into it and it gives it the texture where it's touching the mold. And for that fact, we have a mold to make it. It's like having a silk screen made. You've got yeah. that silk screen, you have to reuse it. And so um, that's how slumped glass is made. That's how bent glass is made, either draped into or draped over a mold. So we do, it doesn't really permit us to do too many one-offs. And, um, and then of course our buyers, you know, just, by, by scaling, talk about scaling, you, you have to have enough, you know, I, I just came across my first really beautiful catalog, it was gorgeous. We didn't have any, we didn't even know what an SKU number was, we didn't know that you had to number, <laughs> it was, well, this gorgeous photograph, don't put those numbers in there, yeah. it's kind of yeah. it. don't put the name on there, oh my god, leave the photograph the way it is, it's so pretty, and it did win awards, you know, but it was completely functionless, it had no function whatsoever, if you, you'd be like, well, What's the props look like? They're candy, and I think it says page seven. What? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. On the far left, underneath yeah. the other one, you know, how much is that? <laughs> so, um, anyway, but so do your items? Do you guys? Uh, does Annie Glass have its own retail shop or a studio shop at your studio, yes. or is it yes, all vendor? Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, no, we we do. We have our own website where we sell directly. Um, online at annieglass.com and then here at our factory in Watsonville which is midway between Monterey and Santa Cruz um, two hours south of San Francisco we have our basically our complex um, <laughs> we have uh, our retail store we have our factory we have our outlet we have what we call the craft bar where you can come on the weekends and we give workshops and have to do glass or ceramics or metal or um, jewelry. We have all sorts of artisans that come and teach, and then I, I do as well. And our most popular one is the one my daughter Ava does, um, the succulent gardens. She um, mm. had our, our we, with the water jet, they cut a hole in the bottom of the anti glass bowl, so it becomes a planter, and then you can plant. And we get the succulents, and then I'll teach a class, and you get a free glass of wine or beer or soft drink with the class, and it's really popular. Yeah, sounds perfect. Yeah. Sounds like a good afternoon. <laughs> it is. It's a fun. It's cute to see uh, the, the people that we uh, I, we're uh, this on su Sunday. I'm doing my first one where we're actually making salad plates so people can make their own. You know, it's like DIY salad plates. Yeah, um, that's where we started this household. <laughs> we started off with some salad plates, and they are still yeah. around. Impressively, not one has been broken. I can't believe that's it. great. I know I've my, gotta, my kids. 
my kids Montessori school had them for, from September to June. I gave them 25 seconds to use and they only broke two. I was shocked. Yeah, that should go on your, your portfolio. <laughs> I know, we were That's amazing. That. We, oh, we have crazy stories from Katrina and Hurricane Sandy and Maria wow. and all of these hurricanes where people lost their homes, but they had their annuals. Amazing. Yeah. Heard these stories about a China hutch that floated down the street and I said, and the antiglass was survived intact. Everything else was was, was chickwoods, but antiglass survived. I'm shocked. <laughs> it offers a visual for sure about longevity. Um, do you so looking forward for the next one to three to five years? Um, where do you personally see antiglass changing or growing or even staying the same? Well, the it's a great question. The um, thank you for asking it. The Limited edition series that we do are the sculptural pieces, and those are, um, I find that's that's what I wake up in the morning and want to see. Yeah. <laughs> How does that look? And that turns out that that is truly what our customers want as well. So, and that is our differentiator, you know, in terms of um, some of the other questions you were leading up to about unpacking it and where we're going. Um, that is our strength, is being American artisans, being American craftspeople, and uh, we actually make it here, yet we're competing with offshore, we're competing with American designers who are sort of more or less what you think that it's made here. <laughs> um, and there's been tremendous pressure to go offshore um, mm -hmm. since we started, but that's not what American craft is. And that's not how we get the quality and the control of what we want to make. Um, it also allows us to do it in small batches and sell it in small batches, which is what our retailers appreciate. Um, but I think the strength is to do uh, what we're best at, which is the more sculptural pieces. So that's what I want to focus on more of. Um, and of course, the artist in residence program to bring that back would be wonderful. Um, but and then um, Ava, my daughter, wants to focus more on the um, expanding our retail store here. Uh, we did have, uh, um, and then the craft bar has been wonderful. Our website is just gets better and better. Um, but I have to say that I for the last two years I've been saying it's no fun being in a business that's being disrupted you know, but retail retail in America is massively being disrupted and but on the other hand my company's been through about seven recessions since mm -hmm. we started mm -hmm. um, so so at the point now it's been long enough now and I've been watching you know is a pendulum gonna swing back is what's gonna happen it's it's very exciting. It's a really exciting time to be to be doing this. You know, it's, it used to be scary. And of course, what was it? Um, Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, do do one thing you don't want to do a day, yeah. which is a great. You know, and it's so it's easy to be fearless when you don't know what to be fearful about. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's going to be bad. I don't know if it's going to be. You know, I don't know if this idea is going to work or not. And uh, so there's a really low bar. And I think that's, you know, that's when you can be the most creative. Yeah, you, you can afford to fail when you have no idea what's going to be next. Everybody's in the same boat. This is a great leveling plane. Um, you know, seeing, meeting with some of my really big customers and uh, wholesale customers and seeing what they're doing and thinking, you know, hmm, interesting. Not, and then borrowing from other industries as well, seeing what the other industries are doing. You know, the uh, railroad industry didn't know that they were a transportation company. You know, newspapers didn't know they were information companies. So, yeah. I think, you know, and have, being at this so long, uh, you know, 36 years this year, um, it gives me a little more confidence um, 
to uh, follow my lead. And then also I've learned to leverage things like each when you wanted advice for people, I'd, I'd say make every decision you make leverage the next one or another one. Don't go off on tangents, only go off on tangents that can feed your other tangents. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, that, I think that's really crucial when you're looking at, well, where do we grow? Where do we put money? Where do we put assets with people? So what, what are the other two pieces? One of my favorite things to ask at the end of every podcast, and you've, you've, you've jumped the, me to my own gun. Sorry. Um, no, that, I, I welcome it. This is the first time it's ever happened, and I'm absolutely in love with it, that you've just gone straight into the advice because it means that it's a natural trajectory of where we were always <laughs> meant to be headed. But um, if someone walked up to you um, at tomorrow and said, you know, um, I just got out of a really arduous um, art you know, um, glass program and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to turn around and do some slumping. I'm dead broke. I think I'm going to make a go of it with this, um, surfer partner I've got going here and I'm going to open my own studio. What are the top three pieces? You just said, you know, don't go off on tangents. And mm -hmm. so what would another one be? Well, well, if they were wanted to get into glass, I'd tell them, forget it, go to ceramics. That's what's big right now. And I don't want your competition. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. I love but, it. Um, but um, no, I wouldn't say that. But uh -huh. no, actually, I actually do uh, give a lot of help. A lot of, uh, I've mentored a lot of students. That's the fun part about being a trustee um, at CCA. But um, yeah. Um, what would I tell them? I tell them to be true to yourself. Um, let your your gut really does have a lot <laughs> to say, particularly in the beginning, um, when, especially and especially when it's the really hard decisions. We've had some tough decisions, and it was really important, I think, you know, to go with your gut on those. Um, I'd say uh, I love your expression. Grow elegantly. That's wonderful. You know, grow slowly. Grow within what you're comfortable to do because. Sometimes um, it's easy to, I mean, it's, it's a tough one too, because there's times I would used to joke, I'd say, well, every other year I make money, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, those in between years, I feel like I'm climbing a cliff and I'm just taking my wallet and throwing it off the, yeah. off the cliff. And I have a family member in Atlantic City and when I first would go visit them, they'd be like, do you want to go to the casinos? I'm like, I gamble every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm self-employed. Yeah. I have a factory. <laughs> you know, I'm a California yep. manufacturer. I gamble every day. Um, so um, I'd say like embrace, get comfortable with the not knowing, with the ambiguity, because there's going to be lots of it. And I think the more comfortable you are with it, the better leader you'll be. Yeah, I, I agree. If, the, if your people see that, that, yeah, that doesn't bother you. I know. I, uh, uh, at these times, I'm doing a lot of talking people down off the ledge. You know, they're fearful or scared or what's going to happen in our industry, what's going to happen in retail, what's going to happen. And um, I think if you, I don't think it's any different than other recessions and other changes you've had. If you love what you do, you're good at it, and you're good to the people that work for you and that you sell to, you're going to be okay. You're going to do well. Yeah. And if it, the same driving passions, you know, um, a lot of times it's still um, personal relationships. Those still matter. They still matter a lot, especially when people are deciding, hmm, am I going to get out of this? But I, you know, what radical changes am I going to make with my business? And uh, where is Andy Glass going to be a part of that? Yeah. 
I couldn't agree how more. We perform. Yeah, I mean, because there's 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 everything on paper. Of course, I'm not. That's not to negate. If you didn't perform, forget it. But um, there's there's little nuances. Well, how do you how do we rate? Do we keep vanity glass and do we get rid of the rest? Or you know, or I'm I'm just trying to use some sort of scenario as to uh, how people would make a value judgment on on your value on the value of your product or your company. And I think knowing that um, there's a lot of integrity there and that you're honest goes a really long way because these days there's a lot there's less and less of that absolutely i agree with you honesty and integrity are rarities and when i smell them out i run to them (laughs) any product any service (laughs) any anything you know it's a they can be rare lights especially in the day of of hyper social media and things like that oh my goodness we we've always you know um my parents always taught me to help others and um and my mom did a lot of charity work uh, even though she worked full-time and it was it was what we did and uh, so i've been doing that we donate to over 365 i know as many days of the year i'm like come on you're serious we have to write we have to hire a person to give away any glass that's ridiculous (laughs) we have to hire a person to give it away stop that no 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 Mm -hmm. um but we i know we give to over 365 uh, nonprofits a year and we just called out for some of the we got really slammed for some of the ones uh, that were considered controversial which were never controversial in the past and that's a beautiful I don't, I don't thing want to go into it there I'm not going to go into it here but I just read a, a thank you note for, for doing it but um, yeah this war on women has to stop it does. It does. And you and I are going to, I'm going to talk you back into having a conversation with me where we get into just that, because I have a feeling that um, you have the kind of candor that will kind of lay it out for us. And I think that you've got a history that would um, exemplify a lot of even current issues as well as where we're coming from um, over the past couple of decades. I've got, so just to summarize from your advice, I, we have the don't go off on tangents, which I love. Um, Go into ceramics, which was a joke, and grow, <laughs> grow elegantly, get comfortable with ambiguity, and utilize honesty and integrity. And I love those. Those are such amazing pieces of advice, you know, that I think um, span all industry. And I think that's so fantastic. And I think it, it really summarizes Annie Glass for me. So I want to wrap it up there. And I want to tell you, Annie, I know you're busy. Um, you're an incredibly prolific individual. And um, you're an artist. And those are always hard to nail down to sit down for a chat unless I've got a bottle of wine. And I don't. I had to talk you into a computer <laughs> screen. So I just want to say well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I do appreciate you. Um, being so flexible with me too. And uh, there's one more thing I did want to say about um, the lessons learned or going forward um, that I think is really important and it's not said enough. And I think that's um, to really, really believe in yourself, believe in yourself more than the next, more than the person you're going to ask advice from. Absolutely. I just think that's so important. I just, I can't say that enough. I don't think women do that enough. They doubt themselves way too much. I my first employee, my first employee was a guy and he said, you know, there's this, he showed me an article about rain, women save for rainy days and men don't. And why is that? You know, women are just expecting the roof to fall in or they're, you know, or something to happen. And yeah. whereas men don't. So, you know, embrace that and just run with it. 
I agree. I'm going to, I'm going to tag team on top of that because I always sign off by telling everyone um, first, Annie, thank you for your time. And for everyone listening today, um, I appreciate your time. And until we talk again, remember to, as Annie says, always believe in yourself. And as I sign off with always bet on yourself. Thank you.